What is it that causes us to want to do what is right? We've been talking the last several weeks about our identity as Christians, who we are in Jesus. That is, if we believe that Jesus is our Lord and Savior, that we are now part of God's people. And what does it mean for us to be part of God's people? So I'd like for you to turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 2, and we're going to take the next just two verses. So this is 1 Peter chapter 2, we're in verses 11 and 12. And this is what it said. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. He begins with this, Beloved, Beloved, those of you who are loved, those of you who are loved, If you were here last week and you remember verse 10, the the one that comes right before verse 11. I I know it's obvious. But but in that, what, what did he tell them, right? He said, once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Once you were not even a people, but now you are God's people. You are beloved by God. God loves you. He has offered His Son as a living, as a sacrifice so that you might become one of His loved people, one of His people. That's, that's what God has extended to you. And because He has loved you, you are now His people. This is now your identity as one of His. And so He says now, okay, you are loved by God, cherished by Him. And so therefore, I urge you, as those who are sojourners and exiles, because you are God's you don't really belong here. Now, he's writing to people who are dispersed all over the place, right? He started off the letter by saying, those of you who are elect, chosen by God, and um, exiles among the dispersion. So you, you were are exiles wherever you're living, out and about. In fact, if we think through the history of God's people, we go all the way back to the Garden of Eden where Adam and Eve were in God's presence with Him there, and then because of their sin, He said, you can no longer stay in this place. You must go out. And they became sojourners and exiles. They had to go out from God's presence, from God's place in the Garden of Eden. And since then, they were exiles, right? Abraham, he was an exile, a sojourner. One who was, was traveling around looking for a place God had promised him, there is this promised land that I will give you, but for right now, you are a sojourner. You're just traveling around, waiting until that promise should come to you. And then his children, were, it was the same kind of thing, right? They, they were sojourners. In fact, uh, Jacob, then whose name became Israel, his his family ended up in Egypt where they were slaves there. They were were sojourners and exiles in Egypt. Finally, for a, a short period of time, they did have the land of Israel. And then again, 
Because of their sin, there was this separation and God once again said, you must go out. And then again, they became sojourners and exiles. And this is the place where they find themselves then when Peter is writing to them and he's saying, look, you are now dispersed all over the place. And as sojourners and exiles, I am writing to you, you are God's loved people. Wherever you find yourself, you are God's loved people there. And you don't really belong. You don't really belong in the place where you find yourself because you belong to God. He loves you. So you're just a sojourner and exile wherever you find yourself to be right now. Someday, someday Christ will return. Someday He will bring us home. And what a glorious day that will be. But for the time being, we are just all sojourners and exiles and this is not our home. This is not our home. It's just a place where we're passing the time. But keep your identity in the right place. I'm one of God's people. I'm one of God's people. I think we have to be mindful of this. That I don't really belong here. That I'm like a sojourner or exile. If you think about traveling to a, a different place, where the culture is different, then you get there and you start to walk around and go, this is weird. Everything is weird here. The clothes are weird. The sounds are weird. The music is weird. The food is weird. The smells are weird. The customs are weird. The way people interact with you is weird. Depending on which culture you go to, here's a, a simple thing. Some people are close talkers and some people are space people. And this is a cultural thing. Uh, around here, we're, we tend to be bubble people. Right? We, we tend to have a bubble. But depending on where you go, there are close, they're close talkers. And if you were to take a step back when they step in, then that's offensive. Because do you not, do you, who would do that? Who would distance themselves like that? Who, who would who do that? So as you're looking at this and, and he's saying, look, I want you to consider yourself to be a sojourner in exile. He's t- saying the way that you should look at the stuff around you is that this is odd to me. This is weird to me. Because my identity is with God, then the things that I see around me here, this stuff is weird. I should have the eyes of a sojourner or the eyes of an exile as I'm looking at it and as I'm considering it. So as I'm looking at the behaviors of the people around me, those things that just seem like really normal, it's just part of the air that we breathe. This is, these are just the things that we do. He's saying, I want you to reconsider that and think of it instead as one who is an outsider who's coming in for the first time and observing this and saying, are these things the right things? Are these things the things that God would have me prioritize? Are these the things that God would have me do as I look at this? Because here's what he says to them. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh. I urge you, you are loved by God and so I am, I'm urging you, I, I have this strong, strong plea 
that I'm going to hand you this rope and I'm going to say, please don't let go of the rope. Don't let go of the rope. Please don't let go of the rope. Whatever you do, whatever it costs you, don't let go of this rope. Of all of the things that might be important to you or you think is a priority, if you get hungry, don't let go of the rope. If you get tired, don't let go of the rope. If somebody says hi, don't wave back. Do not let go of this rope. I am urging you, as God's loved people, do not let go of this rope. Here's the rope. Abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Now, everybody has rules about being a good Christian, right? They know, oh yeah, I, there are certain behaviors that are required of me because I'm a Christian. People that aren't Christians, they look at Christians and they in their minds have things that Christians should and shouldn't do. I, get, I play basketball with some guys early in the morning. It's just pick, pick up basketball. We do it for fun. And they have all kinds of ideas about what I should and should not be able to do. Their, their favorite thing is to, to say, Preacher, thou shall not steal. But they have ideas, even at 6 o'clock in the morning while playing basketball, of what kinds of things I should and should not be doing. And we have those own, own, our own rules, right? The things that we think we should and should not do. But, but here's, here's the thing. It's not the kinds of things where we say, okay, because I am a Christian and I want God to love me, therefore I should do these things. Or therefore I should not do those things. Because I am a Christian and I want God to love me, therefore I'm not allowed to dance. Therefore I'm not allowed to drink. Therefore I'm not allowed to smoke. Therefore I'm not allowed to, not allowed to, not allowed to, not allowed to. He's not talking about... You, you are already beloved. You are already loved by God. He already loves you. He has already seen your sin and said, I am going to offer my son in your place to take care of that sin so that you don't have a sin issue anymore. So that the sin will no longer be a barrier between you and me anymore. We, we no longer have to measure up to this performance. And at the same time, what we recognize is that because we have been called to God's people, there are things that are appropriate for us and things that are inappropriate for us. As God's people. Not because we have to perform for Him to accept us, because, but because there are things that are right and there are things that are wrong. Sometimes when we become Christians, then we um, begin to handle sin... Um, Carelessly? Tritely? Frivolously? That we think sin isn't that big of a deal. Jesus died. He forgave me of my sin. 
And so we play fast and loose with sin. As though, not that big of a deal, really. I mean, there are some big sins. You want to stay away from those. But then the, the other ones, the little ones, those, that's not that big of a deal. Everybody sins and it's just not. Jesus forgave me and no big deal. And what he's saying here is, look, I want you to abstain from the passions of the flesh because they wage war against your soul. At every point, at every opportunity to sin, all of those passions, whether they're big ones or little ones, those temptations, they, they are all doing this. Come here. Come here. Step away from the gospel. Step away from the Lord. It's okay if you just let go with your pinky. You're still holding on to the rope. You're just letting go. Your pinky's not doing any work anyway. And isn't it tired? Your pinky's beginning to cramp. Just let go with that pinky. Don't worry about it. In fact, you can let go with your whole left hand. That's fine. No biggie. You're right-handed. That's where all the strength is. You've got your feet braced. You're fine. These sins are not that big a deal. I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh because they are waging war against your soul. All of those little things that add up, they add up into big things. Every time we just, we just step just a little bit, just a little bit more, every time we redraw the line, every time we make something acceptable or justify something in our mind, we go, oh, I, I, just, I just sort of noticed it. It wasn't that big of a deal. Not that much of a problem. In fact, I, I could probably just walk by there. In fact, I could probably just embrace it. It's not that big of a deal. And pretty soon we find ourselves wandering further and further away from the truth. Looking for our satisfaction, looking for our happiness, looking for our contentment, looking for our hope, looking for, for something to offer us reprieve that is not in God, but in something else. And in all of those things, it's just those little things, but they start to pull us away. And he's saying, look, this is the stuff that is waging war against you for your soul. This is a full-on, all-out assault on your soul. And it didn't seem like that big of a deal to you. And that's why I am urging you, please, don't let go of the rope. Hang on with everything you've got. This is why one of our core values at New Life Church is we need the gospel. We need the gospel. The gospel wasn't just something that we believed that Jesus died on the cross and rose again from the dead and forgave us of our sins and now we become a Christian and so now we do good things because we're Christians. And that somehow we forget about what Jesus did or it like, like he, he got us into the kingdom of God and now we don't need that anymore. That was like a, a Christianity 101 thing. 
but we don't need it anymore. In reality, Christianity 102, gospel-based. We need the gospel. We need to recognize and understand that Jesus died on the cross for our sins so that we might be forgiven. Christianity 103, we need the gospel. Jesus died on the cross to forgive us of our sins so that when we believe in Him, we might have eternal life with God. Christianity 104, 201, 301, 401. Do they go past 401? Okay, they keep going. However far it goes, the, the reality is, this is the lesson. We need the Gospel. This is why we continually have to be evaluating our lives and saying, God, I am seeing this sin in my heart. I am seeing this sin in my mind. I am seeing this sin and I am repenting of this sin. I am bringing it before you and asking, would you forgive me of this sin as well? Lord, may I never stray from You. Would You forgive me again? Ultimately, we know if we believe in Jesus that we are forgiven. We're forgiven of the, the sins that were past. We're forgiven of the sins that are present. We're forgiven of the sins that are coming in the future. But the, the practice of acknowledging and repenting of that sin keeps us in His grasp, because we don't find ourselves wandering away and straying. When we're continually acknowledging the sin that is there and repenting of it, then He is forgiving us of those sins. And we don't find ourselves straying. Because if every time the little sins are enough that cause, they cause us to go to the Lord and repent, we never get close to the big ones. We have to be ruthless about this. We have to be ruthless. Because the passions of the flesh are waging war against your soul. This is the same kind of language from 1 Peter 1, verses 14 and 15, where he said to them, As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as He who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. You, because you are God's people, have been set apart for Him. You've been set apart as a holy people for Him. And so don't be conformed conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. You hear that the similarity in that language to abstain from the passions of the flesh and to um, not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. It's the stuff that you used to do. It's the stuff that people around you are doing. It's the things that, that seem like it's no big deal. But that's the way you used to think. It's the things that you used to do. That's not you anymore. You're loved by God. There's a second reason that we have to be um, careful about the things that we do. Verse 12. 
Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable. There are those around us who don't believe in Jesus. And they're watching you. They are watching you. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Look, our actions speak to what we truly believe. Our actions speak to what we truly believe. And so when we say one thing, but we do another thing, the thing that we do belies the thing that we said. And they go, do you really believe that? Yep, I really believe that. Then how come you do that? Well... I don't know. The things that we do speak. I've heard people say that we should do evangelism and if necessary use words. We always have to use the words. We can't just do the things. You can't just be a good person and then people will become Christians because you're a good person. But, if your actions are inconsistent with your words, there's no bigger turnoff than that. There's no bigger turnoff than that. If your doctor comes walking into the room eating a Twinkie and smoking a cigarette... You step back and go, time out. Do you believe all the stuff that you're telling me? That these things are bad for me? Oh yeah, totally bad for you. Then how come you're doing those things? And we have these standards and these ideas of what doctors should be doing, right? And all of the people that give, give us advice about the things that they give us advice about. We, we want our financial advisors to uh, be good with their money. We want our bookkeepers to be good with their money. We want our doctors to be good with their health. It, it's one of the things that we expect. Guess what? When people are coming to you as a Christian, as a follower of God, they're expecting that you're walking with God in obedience, as He's called you to do. And so the things that you do are a testimony to them. They speak. Your actions speak along with the words. As, uh, keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds. It, it reminds me of the beginning of this chapter when um, he was telling them, okay, this is the thing, guys. I want you to put away all malice 
and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Just get rid of all of that stuff. Get rid of all of that stuff. This is the same kinds of stuff that when you're walking among the Gentiles, when you're malicious, deceitful, hypocritical, envious, slandering, the Gentiles around you, those who don't believe in God around you, look at that and go, wow, I don't want to join that group of people. Look at how hypocritical they are. Look at how backbiting they are. Look at how malicious they are. Look at how deceitful they are. I don't want to be around them. I thought they were going to provide me with some kind of hope. I thought they were going to provide me with something that we should look forward to. But I I don't want to be a part of that. Your actions speak. In fact, he says you should keep your conduct among the Gentiles so honorable that even when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. That they, they would see the things that you're doing and even though they spoke against you and said stuff bad about you, that, that yet they would see what you were doing and going, but I can't help but respect that. That our, that our conduct would be so honorable that even if somebody tries to slander us, everybody would go, there's no way. There's no way. Their, their, their threshold for what's acceptable is too low for them to, to have done all of that that you're saying. There's no way. Look, when there are aspects in which, as God's people, we are called to follow Him, and we, we need to be careful because the sins are waging war, the temptations and passions of the flesh are waging war against our soul, and for the sake of our own spiritual lives, we have to be ruthless to abstain from sin. But there is also a respect in which we ought to be doing good and acting honorably around people for the sake of the souls of the people around us. So that they too might see what we're doing and then give glory to God. That it might speak to them. So that when, when I'm saying, don't let go of this rope, I'm saying, don't let go of this rope because there's somebody on the other end who might fall. There's somebody on the other end that, that needs to be pulled up and brought into life with Jesus. Their life is at stake here. If you let go of this rope, the testimony is marred and they may fall. And there is an aspect in which I'm saying you are hanging on to the rope of Jesus. You are hanging on to the gospel and for the sake of that, your conduct should be honorable. So that those sins don't, don't uh, overwhelm your own soul. Hang on. We're going to see all kinds of examples over the next several weeks of what it looks like to do these things, but I just want to to lay the foundation for it today and say, this is the motivation piece. This is the reason that it's important. 
So that when we start in the next couple of weeks talking about the way that we should interact with government and the way that we should interact with employers and the way that we should interact with family and with our spouse and all of these things, and you get into it and go, oh, yeah, that's really hard, though. I don't really feel like doing that. Or, oh, yeah, but you don't really know my employer and they're not that nice. Or, oh, yeah, but the government is all messed up. And so really, is there a good way of doing this? And all of those things, what I want to remind you is when we get into all of those things, they are super important because this is the rope. And the way that we interact with these things is the passions of the flesh that wage war against our soul. And these are the opportunities that we have to conduct ourselves among the Gentiles in such a way that they may observe our good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Because when we get into the practical, this is what it looks like and this is how we do it, it's not super fun. And it's not going to be easy. And so our motivation has to be at a level at which we want to do it. We need to do it. I want to give you one more reason. Not for the sake of your own soul and not for the sake of the souls of others. Turn with me, if you would, to Philippians chapter 2. And in verse 5, it says this, Have this mind among yourselves which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. But he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. This was the example that Jesus gave us. This is the way that Jesus did it. That as an obedient child, he submitted himself to the will of the Father. And he said, even though this is uncomfortable and I wish there were some other way, Lord, not my will but yours be done. I am going to be obedient and I am going to do what is right all the way to the end. Lord, I will die for you. I will die for you. And he was obedient all the way up to the point of death. And because of that, his name has been raised up above every other name so that on every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord for the glory of God the Father. That's why. For the glory of God the Father. If this was the, the mantra, you know, have you ever done the tug of war thing? And, and you, you just have somebody that's, that's cheering, right? And they're, they're going, we gotta do it for the team! For the team! Pull! For the team! Right? And they're just, they're just 
uh, encouraging you and chanting and, and revving you up so that you will pull and fight with everything you've got. And this is it. For the glory of God. For the glory of God, hang on to the rope. For the glory of God, pull with all that you've got. For the glory of God, do not let go. For the glory of God. Therefore, he says, as he continues in in Philippians chapter 2, he says, Therefore, my beloved, as you've always obeyed, so now not only in my as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for His good pleasure. And then he goes on for some specific applications. Do things without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. What great verses that remind us that Jesus was obedient to the point of death for the sake of the glory of God the Father so that we likewise in following Him as followers of Christ, we also, we also are obedient in everything. And in those times when we are not, in those times when we fail to do that, we turn to the Lord and we repent knowing He has already forgiven us. That when we are faithful to uh, confess our sins and repent, He is faithful to forgive. And we grab hold of the rope again and we we, uh, work some more for the glory of God the Father. I want to encourage you, we have many ways in which we can do this, and we'll talk about these uh, in future weeks, but, but we also, as a church, are um, starting something right now. There's some handouts out there that you may have gotten on your way in uh, called the 12 Days of Christmas. These are things that we can do as a church. They're just, uh, we, we had an idea at, that we would say, let's come up with 12 things that we can do uh, to bless our for the sake of Christ. What are, what are 12 things? And so there are some that are, uh, because New Life Church has three locations, there are some that are Gladstone-based and some that are West Lynn-based and some that are uh, Wilsonville-based and you can, can see them there. And I would encourage you, this is a simple way that we can do things for the glory of God. But the day-to-day, that's where it really is going to be the rubber meeting the road. That's you making decisions every single day at every single moment that I am going to follow Christ in this. I am going to do this for the glory of God. And for that we have the example of Jesus. And we, so this morning we are going to uh, celebrate the communion table together. We are going to celebrate that Jesus has died and enabled us because we are loved by God, chosen by God. We are enabled by Him to be one of His people. But He said that we are to do this in remembrance of Him. And so the the thing that I want to remember this morning about Jesus is the example that He set for us in His obedience that resulted in His death and, and subsequent resurrection. Because what an awesome thing that Jesus, the Son of God, did not consider equality with God to 
a thing to be grasped, but submitted himself in obedience.